Thanks for downloading the Tudor and Stuart Ireland Conference podcast. The conference took place in University College Dublin on the 2nd and 3rd of September 2011 and saw over 50 speakers from Ireland and beyond come together to share their ideas in an interdisciplinary forum. In association with HistoryHub.ie, the majority of the papers are available for podcasting via the HistoryHub.ie website and on iTunes. In this episode, a recording of a paper by Evelyn Schillern, a PhD student at the School of History and Archives in University College Dublin. Her paper is entitled The European Context of the Williamite War in Ireland, 1689-91. The Williamite War in Ireland um, really is, um, there can be no doubt, um, a central event in Irish history. Um, It's about the end of uh, the Catholic revival of the 1680s that had taken place under James II and Tyrconnell. Um, It was a confirmation of um, uh, the dominance of the Protestant elite in uh, governance um, so it's not really surprising that um, this period has been mostly studied by Irish historians and really from an Irish point of view, in an Irish context, what were the causes and effects on Irish society, governance, religion and so on. Um, now, in my own uh, research, as uh, Dr. Downey has kindly pointed out, um, we, it was really into the, the Dutch involvement in this Williamite War in Ireland um, what has really come to light is that there is a very strong European aspect, European context to um, this Irish war as well. Now, of course, um, Irish historians have always acknowledged this. Um, John Gerald Sims most famously uh, said, and he's much quoted, and I'll do the same here, um, that Ireland uh, temporarily became an important theatre in a major European war. Um, still, um, I would like to really highlight uh, uh, today in my presentation uh, this European context um, uh, more. Um, now, first, I'll actually go into what does this European context mean? Um, I'm aware this is a bit of a vague term, uh, so I'll go into the political side um, uh, a small bit first, and then look into the kind of the practical aspect of it as well. Um, so the troop involvement, uh, consequences for what is happening on in Europe to Ireland and vice versa, and so on. So, what does this mean, the European context uh, to the Williamite War in Ireland? Uh, it probably doesn't come as a surprise that um, central to the answer of this question, really the linchpin around whom um, everything revolves, is William of Orange, um, William III. Um, William, of course, was stadtholder in the Dutch Republic, but then in 1688 he organised uh, an expedition into England with the support of the Dutch Republic, the States General, the Dutch governing body. Um, and the following year, in February 1689, he indeed uh, replaced James II as King of England, a sequence of events that is usually uh, referred to as the Glorious Revolution. Of course, again, the Glorious Revolution, like the war in Ireland, had a, a lot of internal um, uh, um, background to it as well, internal English, political, religious, and so on. However, for William, um, once again, it was not so much about what was happening in England, but rather he was motivated in what he did um, by the threat to the Dutch Republic uh, that existed at the time. The Republic in 1689, uh, 1688 uh, came at war with France, uh, the France of Louis XIV. Um, now, the Dutch weren't facing France uh, alone. They had uh, various allies. The more obvious ones were, of course, the um, various of the German Protestant princes, some of the Scandinavian countries, Denmark, Sweden, and so on. But um, really, the two most important allies were... Um, the two Catholic Habsburg monarchies that still exist in Europe at the time, the German Emperor um, and the, the King of Spain. Uh, this alliance um, that kind of forms over um, 
uh, you know, in the late uh, 1680s, early 1690s, later became known as the Grand Alliance. The conflict is, is known as the War of the Grand Alliance, um, also referred to as the Nine Years' War, sometimes War of the League of Augsburg. Um, uh, uh, the conflict originated um, with a French attack actually on the Rhineland, um, but very soon the main theatre of the war um, became Spanish Netherlands, um, where uh, the Dutch Republic was facing France. Um, now, the problem was for Dutch that France wasn't uh, alone either. France had a very important ally, which was uh, James II of England. Um, while France was attacking the Dutch in the Spanish Netherlands, threatening to invade Dutch territory, um, the English were going to fight the Dutch at sea. William uh, was worried about this alliance. He did not believe the Dutch could win a war against uh, an Anglo-French alliance, um, and he had very good reason to believe um, uh, this, because in 1672, um, which in Dutch historiography is still known as the Trampjaar, or the Year of Disaster, um, the, uh, such an alliance uh, between England and France had existed before, and it very nearly um, ended um, the existence of the Dutch Republic as an independent country. It was really only through a combination of luck and the friends hesitating at a crucial moment um, that the Republic survived at all. So this, these um, um, are the motives eventually for William and the Dutch to undertake what was a fairly risky um, um, expedition into England, uh, which then resulted in the Glorious Revolution. Um, they wanted to break uh, the Anglo-French alliance, but not only that, bring England into the Grand Alliance as well, so they would be, uh, be able to use English troops against France. Um, this was particularly important because the main two other allies, Spain, was in a lot of financial difficulty at the, at the time and couldn't really participate as much as uh, they should have, well, as, whereas the German emperor was still occupied fighting the Turks on the other side of the continent at the time. Now, um, it, it looked like I um, feared a bit, uh, of course, away from Ireland, but um, from the War of the Grand Alliance we get to the Glorious Revolution and then obviously back to Ireland now. Um, Ireland, of course, mostly Catholic, had remained loyal to James II, even when he was replaced by William um, in England. As a result, Ireland became a very serious threat um, to William's hold on the English throne, um, and really a backdoor into England. So William had no other option, really, but to deal with what was happening in Ireland, um, especially, of course, after James landed in Kinsale in March 1689, and this then... Uh, is the outbreak of the military conflict, which is uh, the Williamite War, War of the Two Kings, um, as it's sometimes referred to as well. Um, from William's point of view, then, uh, what was happening in Ireland was really a distraction from his main uh, focus, which was this war between France and the Dutch Republic that was happening on the continent. Um, and this really becomes very, very clear if you look at um, William's correspondence of those years during the war in Ireland. Um, if you look at him writing with Portland, you know, one of his main Dutch ministers, uh, with the States General, um, with the Ginkel as well, who commanded um, the Williamite Army in Ireland in the last year of the Williamite War, um, it is full of um, urging and uh, will you please just do whatever it takes to just get this war over with. Um, now, there is, of course, another main player um, in this Williamite War in Ireland. Um, and this is, again, Louis XIV. And this really um, uh, brings this Irish conflict into uh, the War of the Grand Alliance. 
Um, James II had fled England uh, after Williams uh, came into um, the country. Um, he ended up in France, and it was only with French support that he was able to mount an expedition into Ireland. Then, you know, he sailed on the French fleet. He brought French money, uh, brought, brought French equipment, French troops, um, so he could rally, you know, these Jacobites in Ireland um, to standard and organise an actual military campaign. He couldn't have done any of this with the support of the French king, Louis XIV. Of course, in the rhetoric of the time, um, Louis XIV justified his um, actions, or you know, explained his actions by his um, desire um, to support a broader Catholic king. And while no doubt so, some of this um, certainly played a role, it cannot be denied that um, the French king was obviously very much aware of the distraction he was creating for William away from the continent. Um, that Louis wasn't particularly interested in just having James win this war very quickly, um, perhaps not even uh, believed in the long-term possibility of this actually doing it, um, is evidenced by the fact that the French support was really fairly limited. Um, it was only ever just enough to keep James and then later on the Irish Jacobites on their own, just keep them going. Just try and prolong this conflict in Ireland for as long as possible. Keep William occupied there as long as possible. Um, so, um, war, uh, Williamite War is really part of um, this greater uh, War for Grand Alliance. Um, that kind of brings us then into the more practical sides of things as well. Um, the distraction uh, that I keep talking about, of course, um, for William is mainly due to the commitment of resources that he's forced to. Um, of these uh, resources, the most important one, obviously, troops, soldiers, manpower. As I said, one of William's motivations um, to embark on this whole um, uh, uh, undertaking that ended up in the Glorious Revolution was not only to break an Anglo-French alliance, but also to gain England's support, gain England's manpower into a war against France. He found himself, however, fighting a war in Ireland uh, to which he had to dedicate most of his English troops for the first couple of years. Um, and just to give you an example of um, the, the numbers, in 1690, um, uh, when the, the Williamite army in Ireland was at its biggest, it's been estimated there were about 36,000 Williamite troops in Ireland. Now, these obviously didn't just include English, but also a very significant portion of the Dutch army. Then the Danish, who were also um, part of the Grand Alliance, um, and, of course, various Huguenot um, regiments, so 36,000. Uh, in the, the Spanish Netherlands at the time, um, the army, which was mostly Dutch, only a handful of English uh, regiments um, were able to go over there. The rest was involved in Ireland. There was only about 32,000. So you can really see um, that what was happening in Ireland made a huge impact um, on William's war against France on the continent. Now, aside from um, the actual troops, Obviously, a lot of other resources come with that. Money is an obvious one. Um, as most kings in the, the early modern period, William was always short of cash. Um, and troops, wars, cost a lot of money. So to be fighting a separate front is a, a huge uh, additional financial burden for him. Um, then, of course, um, supplies, food, but also um, things like weapons, artillery, um, ships, even transport ships, 
And a lot of it had to be split up between two fronts rather than just dedicated to where his real um, ambition was. Um, another thing, um, perhaps not as obvious but really quite important, is William himself. Um, due to the war in Ireland, William was occupied away from the continent for an additional year. Now, one campaigning season in a war that lasted nine years doesn't seem like a long time. Um, in reality, it was actually made it a big difference, um, primarily because the bulk of the army on the continent was English and Dutch troops. William was, in fact, as King of England and Captain General of the Dutch Republic, was Commander-in-Chief of the forces of these two countries. As such, he was really the only person with the authority um, to command an army that involved both. In his absence, there was no, re no one really uh, to take his place. A Dutchman was obviously not acceptable uh, to the English and vice versa. So that caused all sorts of problems in his absence. Um, in 1690, the um, army on the continent wasn't really able to operate very efficiently at all. Um, so that's the consequences of the Williamite War um, for what was happening on the continent. The other side, of course, is true as well, and I've kind of um, made it a bit clear already, I think. Um, both uh, sides in Ireland benefited or you know, were affected by the fact that it was a European affair as well. On the Irish side, of course, the French support. Um, you know, it can be argued that Louis XIV had other motives to support the Jacobites, um, but in reality, uh, most of his support was probably due to his European uh, motivations as well. Um, from the Williamite side, in theory, the whole campaign was an English one. It was paid for uh, from the English Treasury. It was, in theory, directed um, from the government in England, although William was, of course, the king. In practice, it wasn't really an English operation. Um, about half of the forces in Ireland were English um, or Protestant Irish at any time. Um, the, the others were Dutch, Huguenot, um, Danish, and primarily a few other nationalities were thrown in there as well. Um, now, that in itself, of course, doesn't mean that much. Um, mercenary forces were very common in those days. Um, it becomes more um, evident that it really is a, a more European effort, war effort, when you look at the command structure of this Williamite army in Ireland. Um, of the generals, only about a third was actually English or Irish. Another third was Dutch, uh, and the last third was either Danish or Huguenot. Um, even more uh, significantly, the command of this Williamite army in Ireland was never in the hands of an Englishman. The first year of the war, uh, Schoenberg, the Duke of Schoenberg, which was a Huguenot, then William himself uh, commanded with mostly a Dutch staff. Then in the last year, we see Hodor de Ginkel, uh, another Dutch general, taking command. Um, this led to a lot of difficulties in this army as well, but um, you know, it really shows that it is mostly... Uh, um, a European and international effort. Um, again, another thing this becomes clear from is actually if you look at how this army is supplied, um, most of the food comes from England, all right. Most of its equipment actually comes from the Dutch Republic. Um, so, just uh, uh, in conclusion, go back to um, the quote I gave from John Gerald Sims at the start. Um, Ireland became uh, a stage in. Um, a major European conflict. It, it, it is a very appropriate um, to say that, I think. There's a very close interdependency, as I hope I've shown, between these two conflicts at the time. And to just close it off, I'd like to uh, give you a brief quote of the man who is in the centre of it all, William of Orange himself. 
um, uh, from a letter that he wrote to Chodor uh, Tachinko, his commander in Ireland in 1691, in late September, actually just before the end of the, the war in Ireland, but at that clear he wasn't sure that that was going to happen, and he's really urging Tachinko, please, will you just... Uh, get this war over with, so you know, at least before the end of this campaigning season, so at least next year we can bring all these resources to Flanders. Um, so in William's words, it is of very great importance to me that Limerick is captured before the end of the winter, as this will bring an end to the war in Ireland, and I will be able to transport troops from Ireland to Flanders, where they are absolutely necessary for the conservation of the Dutch Republic and her allies. We hope you enjoyed this historyhope.ie podcast. You can find many more podcasts by visiting the historyhope.ie website.